Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by Planet Fitness. Hey, Black, it's 2020, and I am so motivated to work on this dad bod. I bet you are, Deck. I think Planet Fitness is the perfect place to do that, considering how much we travel. You're right, Black. I couldn't agree more. They have more than 1,800 locations nationwide with some of the cleanest spaces we've ever worked out in. Yeah, and don't forget the friendly staff and unlimited free fitness classes. So head over to their website today, planetfitness.com, and join us in making 2020 the year we rid the dad bod. Hey, Black, have you ever considered cycling? Oh, now you're Lance Armstrong? No, I haven't, but why do you ask? Well, our guest today was in an unfortunate biking accident with a recorded impact of 80 miles an hour, resulting in his lower left leg being amputated. But that didn't stop him. Now he's an accomplished para-triathlete. Man, sounds like the definition of a true underdog to me. For once, we agree, Black. Welcome, Uriah. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I really look forward to this and... uh, um, just really appreciative of it. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you have an, a, a tremendous story. Uh, I mean, like I said, you are a definition of, of, of what we believe is an underdog. Um, and what we like to do is really highlight and really jump right in um, to to that moment of when you were really facing some adversity. It was October 15th, 2012. I had, it was probably 45, 50 degrees that morning when I left. Uh, it was about 6 o'clock in the morning because I remember – Stopping into the driveway, turning around, thinking, man, this is freezing outside. Do I really want to push this all the way to work? Can I just go around? So I turned around, went back inside, said, hey, babe, can can you give me a ride to work? And she's like, we've got a ride at the top down. It's 45 degrees outside. She had a convertible this time. So she's like, we got to throw the bike in the back. We both got to bundle up. I'm going to be freezing. I'm already running late for work. Just get on your bike and go. So I said, okay, okay, I understand that. Um, and at this time I'm still kind of feeling guilty. It's like, I can't really ask her too many times for a, a ride to work. Um, this is my own fault. I'm in this situation because of my own doings. Uh, so I was like, okay, I understand that. And so I, I took off again, got about, uh, down to the end of the driveway, turned left. And I thought I stopped on the, the we have a bridge. We live close to the river. So I stopped on the bridge and I was thinking to myself, okay, I could, I could turn around right now and just throw my bike in the back of the truck or I could go take my truck and I'll take it really easy and go really slow and I'll make sure and follow all the laws so I don't get pulled over and make sure that there's I don't stand out in any kind of a way. Uh, I won't get pulled over, but then I'm thinking to myself, well, if I get pulled over and arrested, I am going to jail for a long time. I'm not getting out of this one. So I said, it's better that I just get on my bike and ride. So got off, took off, went riding and got to a stop sign and then we're a little over a mile away from the house at this point. And I'm entering into this stretch of road that is the busiest stretch of road that I know I have to deal with. So I just put my head down and I, I mash into it as hard as I can for about a quarter of a mile. Um, and then the next thing I know, I'm waking up in the grass. Um, a gentleman went to pass another vehicle, didn't see me and hit me head on. Um, he openly admits to doing somewhere around 60 to 65 miles an hour. And during this stretch of road, I'm probably pushing somewhere around that 20 to 25 miles an hour. Um, so the police estimate that it was around an 80 to 85 mile an hour impact. 
Um, I hit the, the front of the vehicle. My leg caught the hood in the front fender of the truck. Uh, my shoulder hit the windshield and my head, my helmet never had a scratch on it. Didn't have any dirt in it. My head never hit anything. It came above the vehicle. Um, but during the accident, it, um, resulted in the amputation of my left foot, um, and a dislocation of my left shoulder down into my rib cage and stretched all of the, the nerves that are in that area. Uh, so I had, uh, I remember coming to in the grass, I remember hearing somebody say, oh my God, turn and throw up. And I was like, okay, something's not right. So I tried to sit up. My left arm wasn't working. Um, uh, and as I rolled up, I saw blood and I, and I saw my foot swinging. Um, it had broke both the tibia and fibula and degloved from about the knee down to the ankle. Uh, and so I could see my foot swinging. I could see blood everywhere. And that's when panic set into me and I blacked out. Uh, I remember right before I blacked out, I remember somebody put a hand on my chest and very calmly say, you need to relax. Everything is going to be okay. Help is on its way. And about that same time, I black out. Uh, I later find out the first three people on the scene of the accident were an off-duty police chief, off-duty fire chief, and a nurse that was on her way into, going into work. So to have to have those individuals on the scene of the accident, um, to say anything less than that, than that being a God moment was, I think just, uh, there's no, there's nothing else. I mean, that was definitely a God moment for me. Um, but so we'll back up a little bit to this too. My wife is now leaving for work. She's coming up on the scene of the accident. She sees the lights. Um, she sees the ambulance. She sees the lights. She sees the truck there. She doesn't see me. She doesn't see the bicycle, but she only sees one vehicle. And in her heart, she says her gut just sunk. Her heart sunk. She knew that I was involved in this accident. And about the time she pulls up next to the ambulance to go around it, she gets the phone call from the EMT. Um, and they say, hey, your husband's been in an accident. Uh, we've got him in the back of the uh, ambulance. We're heading down to IU Methodist Hospital. Uh, and she said, from what I understand, she said, yes, I understand that. I just drove around the, the accident. Um, I'll, I'll pull over to the side of the road. You guys can pull around me. And I'll just follow you down there. So she more or less got a police escort down to the hospital. Um, I'm the EMT having later, a couple weeks later, met the first responders. Um, the guys are basically saying that I was in a, in a state of shock and I was basically just listing off my emergency contacts. I was listing off her name, where we lived and her phone number, just repeating that over and over and over again. Uh, and so thankfully I had the, the know with all to, to say that, but uh, also too, they, they were, they were adamant about getting to know her or getting to contact her and let her know that this is what was going on. This is where we were heading. So that was great. Um, she contacted my parents. She contacted her mom. They all met down at the hospital. And I would spend the next, uh, I think it was 15 days in the hospital, next two weeks in the hospital there. Um, had nine surgeries before leaving. Um, the doctor, we, we knew, I knew, the doctor knew that we were going to go ahead and amputate the foot. There was no chance of saving that. Uh, but it was more of a question of, do we save it below the knee or do we try and go above the knee? And yeah. so. And real quick, yeah. I just want to jump in. Um, when you see yeah. the, um, the, I was going to say the carnage, but the, that's not the right terminology here. But when you see the picture of the accident, uh, and maybe it was, like you said, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, 
when I saw the pictures, I was just, I looked at Calvin. I said, have you seen these? He goes, no. And I said, well, you got to see these. And, you know, I think our eyes, my eyes opened up, his eyes opened up. I mean, the fact that a human body could hit a car and cause that much damage. I was like, man, can you imagine that's a body that did that? Like to the front hood, uh, lights, you know, everything there. And then seeing the windshield, I said, did his head hit that windshield? And so now it makes sense. Your shoulder hit it. And then, um, how far did you, did you roll over top or was it, did yeah. it project you? How, what, I mean, I hate to get into, but I just curious no, no, to no, what no, had no, happened no. and how you survived. I mean, it's just the fact that you're, you're living is incredible to me after knowing the speeds now too. Yeah. Um, the truck more or less became the truck more or less became a cradle. So it kind of wrapped around me a little bit and I just kind of sunk in this spot in the, in the, on the top of the vehicle. Um, but the truck went another 50 feet before it came to a stop. And then it projected me off the top of the vehicle and I rolled, flew and rolled in the grass another 40 feet. So from point of impact to where I landed was 90 feet. Um, wow. Hmm. <clears throat> now, what did yeah. you, when you received the news that they were going to have to amputate, um, your left foot, uh, what, I mean, what, went through, what, what goes through your mind? Um, uh, as you, I know you had to make a, um, one decision that was above the knee or below. Really, so there was really no, no news of, I didn't really get to see that or get the option there. Um, so we're, let's, this is, this is where kind of everything kind of, I still don't, cannot wrap my mind around everything that kind of went on during this time of my life because we'll back up to early September of 2012. I'm we're my wife and I are on our way to southern Michigan. We're going to do a, a bike ride, a, a century ride. So we're gonna go do a hundred miles in a day. Um my dad's an avid cyclist. My wife's done a couple of triathlons uh and she's enjoys riding. This is something that her and I have also built a little bit of a relationship around we we've been able to go out and enjoy going on bicycle rides and enjoy that freedom together so that has been a huge positive impact influence within our relationship so this is something that we've turned into a a family endeavor um so we're driving up to michigan to enjoy this bicycle ride and i'm just reading stuff on my phone and i'm like i've come across this story of another guy who was in afghanistan and um his vehicle rolled over an IED and he lost all four limbs. And here he is struggling with life, but he's keeping this positive attitude and really focusing and finding success in the everyday and focusing on that joy of every day. I know like I'm looking at like, I know he's going through some struggles. I know he's going through some difficulties that he's got, but he's also still able to find that joy. It's like if I were in that situation, could I, could I still find the joy? Could I still find the happiness and find the bright side of every single day? If I were to lose a limb, let alone four limbs, could I still find that joy? So I'm reading through the story of this individual, sharing this with my wife and her and I are discussing all of this stuff, not knowing that in a month's time, I would have my own struggles of amputation and of tragedy and that adversity to overcome. But here I am reading the story about this guy who's losing all four limbs. I'm like, okay, this this helps me understand my addiction a little bit too. going through this adversity of I'm faced with these, this daily decision of, do I choose sobriety? Do I pursue sobriety wholeheartedly or do I say screw it and go right back to a life of drinking, right back to a life of, 
numbness and just uh, getting away from the the chaos that I'm in. Uh, and so I'm back to that daily decision. And I'm like, if I were to throw tragedy and amputation on top of that, how would I respond? Um, now let's fast forward to the actual accident, the day of this, the, this that's going on, the day of the the day my life sit, literally flips and says, okay, now I literally have to choose happiness. Am I going to choose happiness every single day? Am I going to choose to pursue Christ? Am I going to choose to pursue joy every single day? And the love that comes from that? Or am I going to choose to sit in my own pity and my own sorrow and my own disgust and feel sorry for myself the rest of my life, live in that depression? And so I'm I'm in the ambulance. We're riding down to the hospital. We get to the hospital. And this is, I, I don't know any of this. I don't remember until two days later. I, I remember opening my eyes, seeing some faces while laying there in the hospital. But um, the mo- that morning on October 15th, when I get to the hospital, the doctor and I are having this conversation. He's talking to me and he says that I'm having a great conversation with him. I understand the accident that I was just in. I was explaining to him what was going on. I explained to him what had just happened, uh, but I'm also explaining that I understand the need to save my leg below the knee, to save as much as we can below the knee. I was like, I want to. Re- I shared with him that I wanted to return to cycling and I wanted to return to running and I wanted to have an active lifestyle. My wife and I had just gotten married two and a half months ago. I was like, I cannot. Excuse me. I was like, I can't. I can't. In my mind, I can't wrap my mind around being an above the knee amputee and trying to find independence again. I had at this point, because of the story that I had read previously, I had done an, I had done a little bit of digging and found out, you know, what, what it means to live as a below the knee amputee or what it means to live as an above the knee amputee. And I saw that if I really wanted to return to somewhat of an active lifestyle, I needed to be adamant about saving my leg below the knee. So I said to the doctor, can you take it below the knee? Let's try and do what we can to save the save the knee, save my knee. And so he agreed to that. Um, and I, I, I'm blacked out. I my mind has shut off. I have no memory of any of this. My doctor is telling me this a couple of days later when we're sitting there having a conversation in the hospital room. So I'm like, who am I? And where did I know to? How did I know to to say all of that? Uh, so that was that was another moment of clarity and understanding of myself and and where I was at with all of this too. But um, so it, it was a lot of decisions. It was a lot of this is going to take some time. It's a lot of understanding during that first day at the hospital that this might not heal up right away. And I had I had oh, I think there were eight or nine different doctors that were kind of seeing me intermittently to handle different sides of different surgeries. And uh, I had one I remember I had one doctor come in and, and I asked him, I point blank asked him, all I want to do is ride my bike again when can I go ride as I think I'm day seven or eight in the hospital. And he looks at me and he goes, bud, I don't know if you're ever going to walk again, let alone ride a bike. And I, I was like, I sat on that for a second. I was like, I really, at this point in my life where I'm at, I don't need that negativity in my life. So I let him continue talking. And I said, at the end of that conversation, I said, doctor, I'm sorry, but your services are no longer needed here. Um, I would appreciate it if you would not come back into this room. And so I didn't care if he had more surgeries to do, if he was going to be on the table, if he was going to be helping with certain things. But to have that interaction with that that type of individual, that negativity, I said, I didn't need that in my life. I had enough struggles of 
having to choose still sobriety and knowing that I had to have the pain medication because I was literally had my leg ripped off. So it was like, I have to have the medication that's necessary for me to live at least comfortably right now. I know it's not long-term, but I need this. And I still have to maintain and pursue that sobriety for myself because I'm starting to understand that I have goals, that I have dreams, that I have this passion within me that I want to pursue. I, I can't just throw that to the wind and go back to this life of numbness and this life of destruction. I would say, you know, so, <laughs> no, I, and I, I, for, to me, as I, as I listen, because the roller coaster of emotion that you've, that you've had to go through, um, and, and, and then to tell the doctor, you know, you, you don't want that negativity. It's your mindset had already started to shift. Um, and you, you, you were looking at, okay, you know, you knew what your passion was and you, you and your, you and your wife had developed, you know, a bond and you didn't want to lose that. Uh, I, I mean, just to have that, that mindset or that thought process, I think is, is huge. And, and, and something we're seeing your eye and something Calvin, we can both touch upon is putting the ability and disability. You know, some, we had a Lily Rice who was, um, wheelchair for, for, uh, females or women, uh, motocross, uh, did a backflip. And then we had uh, corporal Josh Sams at an IED lost two legs and, and he's overcome. And the one thing it's a similar theme. Now you're a third guest that has had something, um, that would, you know, has physically changed your body, but how do you overcome that? And I think it obviously starts with all three of your guys' mental mindset of how to attack. So, um, with that said, I think that's a great bridge to what you're doing now or the, uh, the success that you've had, um, in your field. So can, can you kind of go through, um, you know, being the, the great athlete that you are, which, which I, and, and I'll, and I'll say that with, because we're both football guys, when I heard what you're doing and you're a defensive lineman in high school to see that you're now running and biking and doing all this, I'm like, wow, this is, this is a true underdog story because man, I know a lot of different <laughs> linemen that are probably listening right now. They, they'd be cracking up and saying, oh, yeah, I could never do that fully, uh, with, with every leg or hand or anything fully physical. So anyway, um, let's, let's lay that, when, that story. When, out. I, when my football coach heard that I was doing triathlons, um, from my football coach from high school heard that I was doing triathlons. He said, he looked at me and he goes, who are you? <laughs> I struggled to get you to run 20 yards in high school. And now you're going out and running five to seven miles at a time. Who are you? And it, it's just that it's that mentality of, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm here for a greater purpose. I know I'm here for, for more. And I'm just going to keep pushing myself and pursuing that. Um, just to, to see what I'm capable of doing and to see, to see where God leads me. Um, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to physically challenge myself because I know what it's like to have to sit sedentary for months and years on end. And, and I know what that feels like. And so after the accident, uh, I had a year and a half, 18 months of surgeries, of hospital stays, of therapy. Um, I had 15 surgeries overall. Uh, we went through IV antibiotics. I had infections. I had non non poor blood flow. Uh, we had vascular transplants. We had um, 
other transplants, skin grafts, uh, and then to see just one failure after another failure after another. My body was rejecting everything that we were doing. Um, and finally, we, we got the infection under control. Uh, we got blood flow started again. But it was a series of events that led up to that point. So um, it wasn't until March of 2014 that I was finally, that the doctor finally said, I'm comfortable with releasing you for, for a prosthesis. I, he goes, I, I see your body is healed up. I think that through all the things that we've checked and all the things we've done internally, your body is healed up. Uh, your leg is, I think, stable enough to be able to handle a prosthesis now. So you may go ahead. Here is the prescription that you need. Go ahead and pursue that. Um, so that led to my first prosthetic and got, got delivered in March of 2014. Um, my wife and I were pregnant. We were expecting our first baby. She came on April 24th, uh, a month later. And so I get a month to try and figure out how to walk again. Um, and, and this is funny because this is something that I say all the time. It's like as a below the knee amputee, your body still knows how to walk. We just got to retrain those muscles to help be supportive of the body weight. Um, that's all we got to do. So the, the function, my body could still make the motions. I could still put one foot in front of the other and take those baby steps that were necessary. But it was all about, do I have the strength and stability within my quads and within my hip and within my core to support me? Absolutely not. Every time I tried to step on my left side, I would almost fall just because I didn't have the strength to do it. So it required a lot of physical therapy and that was going to take years to build up. But I was like, I don't have years. I've got a daughter that's on the way that's going to be born in a month. How do I have the strength and stability to do that? Let alone the confidence to go out and find a job again. I'm putting in part-time work here and there at the body shop again. Uh, I still have my job as an automotive restoration, um, doing metal fabrication uh, little thing, little jobs here in the shop. So that way I could still have a job. But I was like, this isn't something I can do long-term. I'm like, I'm working on million dollar cars here. I can't go in there and expect to have my prosthesis catch on a corner or something and do damage to the car. Now I have to fix that. That comes out of my pocket. I'm not being productive at work. I don't feel like I'm being contributing as a man, as a husband to my family. As am I going to be this father? How am I going to be able to wake up in the middle of the night and take care of my kid, my daughter? How am I going to be able to provide for this this family? Are we, are we doing all the right things here? Uh, and so a lot of that was flowing through my mind as I'm getting this prosthesis, as I'm getting back to what is trying to find my new normal, um, what life kind of looks like. Um, it's amazing what kids athletics can do. Really, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Athletics hadn't even entered into my mind yet. You know, I was I was wanting to get back out on the bike, but if I can't walk, how do I expect to go out and be able to ride a bike? You know, I was like, I, in my mind, I'm like, I can't even think about that right now. I've got to just learn to walk again, learn to be able to balance and, and take the necessary baby steps before I take off and try sprinting. Um, you know, it's it's we, uh, one thing that I always try to help people with is it's understanding the process that we have to go through after after amputation after tragedy it's the baby steps that are required to get back to finding that new normal and finding that independence and success um so in in 2014 i started to sit down and and make some figure out what my goals were i had to redefine what success was for myself what independence looked like and, and what are some goals that I wanted to set my, for myself long term, and, and but also daily? And I had to figure out what that looked like. So I spent a couple of months of defining success, 
and what that looked like. And then I had to go back and then redefine it because what I had was this quote unquote Superman complex. It's like I wanted to achieve the utmost, the best of the best and, and do all these great things. But I was like, I still I cannot run. I cannot ride a bike. I can barely walk. Stairs are a struggle. I got to find guardrails. I'm still using a cane to walk. So I was like, let's be realistic here. Let's redefine. Let's redefine what that success really truly looks like for me right now. Let's take a hard gut check and a reality check and find out what does success truly look like for myself right now. And so we focused on some, I focused on some short-term goals at that point and really kind of before I was to ever pursue a, a running prosthesis and go that route, I had to really just focus on the here and now and live in that moment, but also still trying to be a husband that my wife wanted and, and be the father that I knew that I needed to be for my daughter. Um, and so that led into an opportunity through uh, my previous prosthetic provider. Um, they were in need of a, a marketing individual uh, and a patient advocate, uh, somebody who could go out and, and be a nice face for the company and really be able to talk to patients and relate to patients. So it, it gave me the opportunity to, to find purpose within the accident uh, and after the accident and, and really kind of focus on serving others more than myself, and, and which is ultimately one of the things that I really wanted to do. That was part of success for me was how do I serve others? How do I really help build others up and really take this tragedy that I have experienced, not thinking look back, not even really thinking back to the other things that I have faced in life, the homelessness, the job loss, the, the addiction and stuff is how do I take how do I take this tragedy of amputation and be able to impact people positively through it? And I felt like there was a greater purpose because of that. And then, and so as a patient advocate, I was able to kind of mentor a few individuals through that process. But I felt like there was still, like I felt God was telling me that there's more to this than just a little bit of mentoring. There's, there's more, there's more of a need out there that we can help that I, that you could be used to, to, pursue to push people to get them up and moving some more so i started working on a different program um which eventually became a, a life skills program and where we have a we kind of focus more on that and, and really really help individuals redefine what success is find acceptance and understanding of their current situation where they're at and the reality of i just lost my leg i'm getting my first prosthesis i want to walk but let's redefine what that is because yes, you're going to walk again. So how do we focus on things beyond that? What is the bigger picture here? What do you really want to do? Is it playing with your grandkids? Is it going to the grocery store and shopping for yourself? Is it athletics? Do you want to pursue something more? Or is it just go returning to work? You know, we help them help them redefine what that success looks like, what that success looks like, but also how do they enjoy the independence that is founded within that success? And I think that's where, you know, what you just said right there um, is one of the reasons why we wanted to do, you know, the underdog podcast, uh, because there's so many stories like yours um, that don't get heard. Um, and there's so many people who struggle with, you know, whether it is addiction or, you know, an accident or uh, how, how are they going to cope and, and find that healing in, in society and be able to live us, you know, quote unquote, you know, whatever 
normal life means to them individually. Um, you know, so, you know, I definitely, you know, think what you're doing in, in your story is truly, truly impactful. Um, and I know as, you know, as we kind of come to a conclusion here, um, you know, what do you, you know, what has, uh, you know, having your, your two daughters, you know, what has that also done for you, you know, over the last couple of years? That's, that's, that's a tough and deep question. Um, way to answer that. I try to teach and speak truth and life into them every opportunity that I can, but also helping them to understand to follow their dreams wholeheartedly, um, with passion, uh, with faith, with an understanding that anything is truly possible, um, regardless of the past, regardless of the circumstances, the adversities you have to face, anything you put your mind to and that you have the faith that you can achieve, you will achieve. Um, and it's, you know, I want to show them that and not not just speak them to them with words, but show them with my actions as well, because I, I truly believe that, that actions speak way louder than words. I could talk till I'm blue in the face to them, but if they see me slacking off, they see me being lazy, or they see me not caring about something, that's going to speak way more to them than the words that I choose. So, um, the, tr the words that I choose to use with them and the, and the, and the truth and the life that I speak into them. Uh, and so I, I put, you know, really I try to, try to my best to live in the moment when I'm with them, uh, when I'm around them, when they're able to see me and watch me. I want to, want to be able to soak in every moment that I have with them. Um, and that they're watching me and that and that they see me overcoming the challenges that I have um, I, they're starting to get to that point to where they're asking questions about you know what is this what is the leg what is a disability what is a handicap um, you know and from people that I hear around me I, I have a handicap tag uh, for my car uh, for drive purposes but they're like you're the most able-bodied disabled person I've ever met in my life and so it's like it's tough because yeah, I have it, but I don't really need it. Uh, but then also to share with my daughters, you know, yes, I have a disability, but I don't choose to let that disability define my life. I don't choose to let that, that adversity, that, that struggle that I have to deal with on a daily basis really define who I am or define the, the, the decisions that I have to make what I want to pursue. Um, the athletic side of it, you know, I've been gifted with the athletics, with athleticism, um, and being able to compete at a very high level. Uh, yes, I pour a lot of time and effort into training and into, um, into that, but it's also that dedication has come with a sacrifice, has come with payment. Um, and so I don't get to always enjoy every moment that I could with my daughters or my wife, um, there is some sacrifice there. Um, but it's, it's ultimately to show them that, you know, there is a lot of power and a lot of strength in pursuing what we're called to do, uh, what we're given, the dreams that we're given, the, the goals that we set for ourselves. Um, 
but with that comes a lot of responsibility and the opportunities to pour that into other people and to serve other people um, and really help build somebody else up. Because if I was to take this, these opportunities that I've been given, these these chances for athletics, the chances for travel, the chances for all this, and just take it as a selfish moment and, and really just say this is for me, then I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing. I wouldn't be doing any justice to the uh, to the to the the decisions and the goals that I have made, um, to the life that I've been given and the opportunities that I've been giving. It's really, it's all there to help and give back to somebody else to make sure that somebody else then has an opportunity to pursue success and independence to to let another individual have that opportunity to pursue a, a running if that's what they want or a cycling or just an active lifestyle if it's swimming if it's if it's lifting weights if it's the whatever it might be um you know i want them to see that life is is a a series of moments that are opportunities to serve and to give back and and, and to really find the joy and happiness that's in that and we really appreciate that i mean i think uriah on on your uh on your on your behalf to to hear this story um you're an inspiration to not only hopefully anyone that listens to this, but as you continue to tell your journey and story of overcoming adversity, um, like you said, basically going from, you know, homelessness, addiction, eviction, you know, pretty much anything you can name, uh, to then overcoming and then taking, uh, you know, your accident and and making the most of it. Uh, as we talked about before, putting the ability in disability and then really using, you know, faith, family, and then uh, the power of, of really exercise and activity to then use a platform and the success you're having to uh, really inspire. I mean, we're, this is a perfect fit for us. We really appreciate your time. Um, I would consider it a, a, a very, uh, you know, great underdog story. And, um, you know, we're really, really uh, fortunate to have you on our podcast and, with that said, how do we have our listeners um, engage or follow with you? Um, there's there's always the social media stuff. Um, I, I truly try to post as much as I can um, without letting it control my life. Um, so there's the opportunities on Facebook and Instagram. Um, just search my name. Um, having a unique first name uh, is great because there's there's – Last time I checked, there's I'm still the only Uriah Stefan out there, um, so that's really a nice benefit to it. Um, but yeah, if you search Uriah Stefan on Facebook or Instagram, um, you can follow along the journey there. Um, and then uh, if you want to email me, my contact information is on Facebook, so uh, you're able to to followers can reach out to me directly if they would like. Um, if you're struggling with uh, the tragedy, um, whether it's addiction, whether it's amputation. Um, homelessness, whatever it might be. If you want to reach out and talk, by all means, give me a call, shoot me an email, um, shoot me a text message. We can definitely chat. You know, there's a lot of power in the community and a lot of power in family. So absolutely. Yeah. And we, we can't thank you enough for joining the underdog podcast. And on behalf of myself and, and Calvin here, thank you so much and, uh, best of luck. We're moving forward and we know you're going to do great things. We can't wait to continue to follow. And I know Calvin said, we're going to get 300 episodes. So by the time we get towards that end, you know, we would love to have you back on to hear your continued progress and the great things you're going to be doing. So, um, yeah, definitely stay engaged and, and we look forward to talking to you soon. 
Yeah, there's there's a slim chance for Paralympics this year. We'll see. Um, I'd have to knock off a few people, but uh, there's a there's some slim chance for this year. But definitely the goal of 24 and 28 uh, Paralympics. Go so. get them, man. Yeah, go get them. We're yeah, yeah. we're cheering for it. you, man. The D yeah, lineman, we got you. Hey. Yeah, Black and, Black and Decker's <laughs> got your back. <laughs> we're in your I corner. It. Yeah. All so, right, I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you guys for this opportunity. I really appreciate your time and uh, the ability to help um, just spread that message of hope and love. So, thank you guys. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jirai. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. I'm bye. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free T-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.